This podcast is made possible by thousands of dedicated listeners just like you. Be a part of this powerful three-decade legacy of evangelization by visiting materdayradio.com or downloading the Hail Mary Media app. And thank you for joining us on the bridge between your faith and everyday life. Bringing you a common sense and fresh perspective to creating a just society. This is Common Sense on Social Justice. You'll get equipped with the tools you need to carry out social justice right where you are. Now, here's the host of Common Sense on Social Justice, Michael Davis. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm so glad that you are here with us as we continue our journey of justice. You know, the scriptures tell us that God is a God of justice, and that means that as being creatures created in the image of God, we too have justice written on our hearts. And we're going to talk a little bit about that today as we do an interesting study today. We're not uh, going to get into a specific topic today of uh, social justice, but rather we're going to study an ancient saint, one that you may not even think of, because the, you'll see the saint in the Christian scriptures, but there's not a lot that we learn from him. We do see him involved very much in St. Paul's life, but then we run across an ancient letter that he wrote to some churches in the Roman Empire, and from that, we actually get a lot of instruction from this saint, and that is St. Barnabas. Now, those of you familiar with Christianity should recognize very quickly the name Barnabas. Barnabas was very uh, involved in, in uh, Paul, St. Paul the Apostle's ministry, uh, planting churches, uh, Barnabas himself going and planting churches, uh, taking John Mark with him at one point. Paul and Barnabas actually had a falling out at one point, and so Paul went his way, and uh, took Timothy with him, and Barnabas went his way and took John Mark with him. But as we learn from the scriptures, that after years of not talking to each other, uh, actually they made amends, and uh, Paul, towards the end of his life, is writing in the scriptures and tells Barnabas that you were right, because the whole split was around the worthiness and the the sort of qualification of John Mark to join them in their ministries. And Paul concedes towards the end of his life that Barnabas was correct in taking John Mark and, and fighting for him because Barnabas did defend uh, John Mark and said, yeah, I mean, he's young and he's inexperienced, but he's good and we could use him with us in this ministry. And uh, so, you know, we don't hear from Barnabas in the scriptures other than those sort of brief moments. However, besides what is in the Bible, there are many writings that the uh, ancient uh, people wrote back and forth to each other to various churches, and one of those is a letter from St. Barnabas. In the 18th week of ordinary time in the divine office, now if you're not familiar with the divine office, that is a pattern that priests and bishops follow and that lay people in the Catholic Church can follow as well. I do it each day, but every three hours of the day you stop and go through some psalms and some prayers and some scripture readings. And with that, uh, 
we also have the Office of Readings at the beginning of the day. And then the 18th week of Ordinary Time uh, on Sunday, the Office of Reading is a letter that you read from St. Barnabas. And in this, he spells out clearly three important factors that should be present in our lives. Now, today I'm going to be a little bit uh, theological at the beginning of this. However, I suppose all of social justice is theological, not trying to create duality there. But what I mean is it's going to sound a little bit purely theological, like something you would hear in a homily or something. But what I'm doing is building towards something because St. Barnabas builds on these three factors and at the center of it all is justice. However, St. Barnabas shows us that justice does not exist in a vacuum, but is within a, a divine whole. And so we're going to look at that divine whole, so to speak, that's W-H-O-L-E, as St. Barnabas spells out the three factors that should be present in our lives. And if we have these three factors present in our lives, then we will uh, be able to uh, more fully live out justice. And then towards the end of the podcast today, we're going to uh, address an issue that Barnabas brings up in that this letter is how do you overcome or how do you deal with a life in the face of overwhelming evil? But let's look at the first factor that Barnabas brings out in this letter. And the first factor is hope for eternal life. In your life, there should be hope for eternal life. He calls hope the beginning and end of our faith. One very important aspect of Christianity is hope. Christianity grew out of the Roman Empire. So this empire was a crushing empire. In fact, you know, uh, it, it would really talk about the Iron Curtain and ruling with an iron fist. That was the Roman Empire. It was a crushing empire. And in the midst of this crushing Roman Empire, the Christians spoke repeatedly of hope in a better kingdom, a just kingdom, a good kingdom. Uh, in a very familiar writing of St. Paul's in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul says, now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. So hope, he says, is one of the three most important things uh, for us. And so Barnabas uh, speaks of hope, that that's the first factor uh, that or the first ingredient that should be present in our lives is that hope for eternal life. Eternal life is important to us all. I mean, the Bible says that God has implanted eternity in our hearts. So in order for, order for us to become an atheist or an agnostic or to to come to the or to become materialistic, consumeristic, secularistic, for us to get to the point where we believe that this life is all there is, we have to do a lot of mental gymnastics to get to that point because the scriptures tell us that God has implanted eternity in our hearts. That's why, as humans, even though we may not understand who God is, we all instinctively know there is something beyond us. There is something infinite. There is something eternal happening. We, we instinctively know that. 
And even if we're not very religious or spiritual people, even when somebody sneezes, we say, you know, God bless you. It's just an automatic response. You know, don't take that lightly. That's not just a learned thing from society, because where does because where does society get it? Well, it comes from the fact that we are implanted, imprinted deeply in our souls with that knowledge of God. And that is why we long for youth and for eternal life. That's why we seek out the fountain of youth. That's why we, we uh, try to take herbs and supplements and various things that will cause us to feel younger why we get plastic surgery so we can look younger. You know, why do we have that? Why do we do things to try to lengthen our life as long as possible? Because we have eternity inside ourselves. And because youth and eternal life is what we were created for. Now, in the Roman Empire, life was often cut very short due to crucifixions and deeply oppressive control of the empire. So the people in the Roman Empire did not necessarily live as long as we do uh, in this modern age. I mean, just, you know, constant war, like I said, crucifixions, just the oppressive nature of the empire. A lot of people tended to leave very short lives. Now, in the backdrop of this rises the hope of something better, something freeing, something good, something light. And I say light with a capital L. In the backdrop of all this rises hope that there is something better than the Roman Empire. That's what the book of Revelation teaches us. Behind all that cryptic language that St. John uses, in that he's saying there is something better than this empire. There is a kingdom that is just. There is a kingdom where there is love and where there is joy and where there is happening. That's why the book of Revelation keeps switching back and forth between these apoc- uh, sort of apocalyptic scenes back to scenes in heaven. And you see the saints and angels worshiping and joy in heaven. Back and forth, John is painting for us a comparison between the eternal kingdom and the Roman Empire for us today, our modern empires. I live in Oregon, and I think of these uh, pioneers that came out to Oregon. I was just talking to a friend the other day about this, that it's amazing that now we can just get on an airplane and fly to the other side of the United States. We can fly uh, to uh, Africa. (laughs) I mean, within the day, you know, it takes about 21 hours to fly from Portland to Nairobi, Kenya. 21 hours. Think about that. So if I left right now, 21 hours from now, I would be landing in Nairobi, Kenya from Portland, Oregon. If I got in my car, I can drive to the Oregon coast in a little over an hour. I can drive to California in about five hours. I mean, I'm naming these times. And then we go back to the mid 1800s. The pioneers that came out to Oregon on the Oregon trail took them four months to get from Missouri to Oregon. So, you know, these these pioneers went through a lot. I mean, a lot of them died. I mean, think about this. They walked through the Great Plains. I don't like driving through the Great Plains. There's no trees. 
There's nothing to look at. I mean, it's so crazy that if you're driving on Interstate 70 through western Kansas, you're just glad to see an overpass over Interstate 70. These people walked through that, and they walked over the Rocky Mountains and walked over the Cascade Mountains. Why did they go through all that? They struggled and persevered. Why? Because they had hope. They had hope of a better land. You see. And so it drove them onward. Now, in our pursuit of justice, social justice, we often don't see what we're, we're striving for. But why do we keep going? Because of this first ingredient that needs to be present in our lives is the factor of hope. Now, the second thing that St. Barnabas brings out in his letter is justice. He calls justice the beginning and end of righteousness. Get a hold of that. Justice is the beginning and end of righteousness, he says. Now, in the Greek, righteousness and justice are actually the same thing. The early church did not think of righteousness as going to church and reading your Bible. No, they understood from their language that righteousness is a noun and justice is the verb. So righteousness is the reality of having a heart that longs to be fair to neighbor and even to take a hit if it is to the advantage of the other. So if you are a righteous person, you're willing to go without a meal so that someone who has nothing to eat can have something to eat. You're willing to sacrifice part of your paycheck. If you're a righteous person, you're willing to sacrifice time. You're willing to, to sacrifice for the other. So righteousness is the reality of that kind of, of heart. But justice is the verb of righteousness being lived out. So if you are a righteous person, you're going to live out justice toward your neighbor. So if you are being just, it shows that you have a righteous heart. So righteousness is about feeding the hungry, housing the homeless, accepting the stranger, loving your enemy. To live and show justice shows that you are righteous. One's a noun, describing who you are. The other's a verb that shows action of righteousness lived out. So this is why St. Barnabas says that justice is the beginning and end of righteousness. So a just society grows out of what? It grows out of changed hearts, people becoming righteous. Now, do you see the fallacy of these modern social justice movements? They run contrary to the ancient paths, the ways of being right in the heart, and not the ways of different laws on the books or forcing society into a way of being. No, justice comes about because people's hearts get changed. They become righteous. And so we have to stop this, this silly pursuit of justice by thinking, well, if we could just get the laws changed, or if we could get this law in the books or that thing, or if we could just get the government to do this, that, the other. See, no. Or if we could force people into accepting people of other color and languages. No, those things only come about through a changed heart. 
It does not matter how many laws you have on the books. The human heart, if it's unchanged, is not going to follow it. I mean, it's against the law to murder somebody. That does not appear to be slowing a lot of people down because there's an awful lot of murders happening. But see, if people would not take the life of the other if they had a changed heart. I remember a few years ago, I was at the house of a social justice warrior and they were waxing eloquent about the evil empire and all that had to be done to crush people who were in power. After listening to them, I thought to myself, their solutions sound stressful and depressing. Well, if the solution to ending slavery leads to more slavery, then we are still left with slavery. If the solution to injustice is more injustice, then we're still left with injustice. You see, the change of heart, a heart that becomes free in God, is the solution to the ills of society. That's why Barnabas starts out in his letter with hope needs to be present in your life, that hope of eternal life. Then your heart will be transformed, and then you'll end up living out justice. So, I mean, there's a lot of ways we can practice justice and a lot of ways we can correct injustices, but humans will continue to act unjustly towards each other as long as their heart is unchanged, unconverted. Now, the third and very important factor that needs to be present in our life, according to St. Barnabas, is love. So hope for eternal life, justice, and now finally, love. He says that love bears cheerful and joyous witness to the works of righteousness. So he's saying, you have a righteous heart, therefore you live out justly. But if it's left at just that, then you're going to act justly with a frown on your face. But he says, if you have that third ingredient of love, then you're going to act justly towards others with cheerfulness and joy. So love is the root of it all. We have hope because we have experienced God's love. Then we in turn live out that love towards others. Notice that he talks about cheerful and joyful. You know, justice does not become an obligation when you have love. Like, well, I know Jesus said, you know, need to feed the hungry, visit those in prison, so I'm going to do it to fulfill my Catholic duty. You know, no. St. Barnabas, like, if you have experienced God's love, then that love should transform you into living out this charity with joy and cheerfulness. In fact, St. Paul reminds us in scriptures that God loves a cheerful giver. I remember a song, I think it was in the 1970s when it came out, that said, what the world needs now is love, sweet love. And yes, you can thank me, If that song gets stuck in your head the rest of the day, you're welcome. But what the world needs now is love, sweet love. The other day I had a friend tell me that they noticed if you want a hit song on the charts, it has to be a song about love. And that's true. There's an awful lot of hit songs on the charts throughout the decades about love. Now, what is love? And I guess that's another song, right? What is love? But love is 
as the saints teach us, is to will the good of the other. It is sacrificial. You see it on full display in Jesus' crucifixion when he's on the cross suffering very horrifically as he's nailed to that cross. And while he's dying, he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they are doing. And in the midst of all of this uh, horrific execution, he even talks to one of the men next to him being crucified and has a conversation with him about heaven, uh, telling the guy, you'll be with me today in paradise. Uh, while he's, you see him dragging this heavy cross, uh, you know, but this time he's lost a lot of blood, very weak, and he's still encouraging and comforting the women. I mean, you know, think about this love. He, it's forgetting about me and investing in you. And so having hope, justice, and love, those three ingredients, they bring about the full picture of what social justice and a just society looks like. Now, we have to ask ourselves a very important question that St. Barnabas asks in this letter, and that is what to do when evil overwhelms us. I mean, Barnabas lived in the Roman Empire. Talk about evil overwhelming you. There's no possible way that this thing can ship can get turned around. Do you ever feel like that with the United States of America or China or other places that there's just no way for this thing to get any better? It's going down. Well, when evil seems to overwhelm us and the injustices just cascade upon society, what do we do? Barnabas states that when evil days are upon us and the worker of malice gains power, what should we do? He, he asks, and he says that we must attend to our own souls and seek to know the ways of the Lord. So he says there, there comes times when to see justice happen is just not, it's not going to come about. So what do you do in those moments? He says, well, you tend to your own soul and you attend to the ways of the Lord. Seek out God's ways. So you keep feeding the hungry. You keep visiting those in prison. You keep clothing the naked. If you have two coats, you share that one coat with somebody who doesn't have a coat at all. You just keep doing what you can do and you leave the results up to God. You know, you just keep on going. You just keep, be faithful and don't worry about the results because you know the results are not going to happen the way at least you want them to happen. I think of St. Maximilian Kolbe, the saint of Auschwitz, who died in Auschwitz. He's a priest. Well, he's a priest who's being starved to death, given over to hard labor and eventually executed at Auschwitz. But what does he do in the face of this? He realizes as a priest, I am not going to be able to do anything about the reality of Auschwitz or the Nazis, but he keeps doing mass. He keeps praying. He keeps hearing people's confessions in the prison. He just keeps going, just keeps being faithful. He's like, I'll just leave the results to God. And in these times, St. Barnabas states that reverential fear and perseverance will sustain our faith. He says that if we hold fast to these virtues of love, hope, and justice, then we will find joy in the midst of overwhelming injustice. Note that he does not say we will find positive outcomes. 
where everyone will be taken care of. Rather, he says, we will find joy and our faith will be sustained. Nowhere in the letter does Barnabas mention outcomes of living out justice. I was reading through that letter and I was surprised, like he doesn't talk at all about outcomes of living out justice. Rather, he is focused on us faithfully living out justice, even when positive outcomes become impossible due to the evil regime oppressing everyone. Remember, outcomes belong to God. God is not concerned with the outcomes of our work, but rather with our faithfulness to the task at hand. So, for example, if we're feeding the hungry, God does not want you to hear this. God does not ask us to solve world hunger. Rather, he asks us to be faithful to feed the hungry who are in front of us. Now, too often we're just focused on outcomes and solutions, but scripture calls us to faithfulness. Outcomes and solutions belong to God. Now, this does not mean that we should not be creative and think of solutions, but we certainly should not be attached to the outcomes having to be a certain way. And then Barnabas ends the letter by reminding us that God is not in need of our sacrifices. <laughs> okay, get a hold of that. Barnabas says God is not in need of our sacrifices. In other words, God doesn't need your work of social justice. Okay, You're, you and I aren't that important. It's not that God needs Michael doing this podcast and getting the message out. And God needs me to be serving the homeless now. Barnabas reminds us God is not in need of our sacrifices. He quotes scripture where God says that he has had his fill of our sacrifices, but what God wants from us is our heart. What God wants from Michael is my heart of love towards him and praise and thanksgiving. And God, again, is not in need of my love and my thanksgiving. It's just what God wants from me because God knows that's what's good for me as a creature. And so the real work of justice is the work of tending to our souls. In the Old Testament, we are instructed by the prophet Jeremiah to seek the ancient paths. But in our modern world, we have abandoned not just the ancient paths, but also the near past paths. When we tear down statues to erase history, we are putting ourselves in great danger. We lose out on the lessons that the ancients can teach us. We cannot be disconnected from the past and then think we can understand the present. One main reason that we are messing up so horribly in the present is that we either have forgotten the past or have or are changing the true narrative of the past to fit our personal narrative. But as the ancient saint Barnabas teaches us that nothing changes. What he faced in his day in the Roman Empire is the same thing we are seeing today. May we study the ancient saints and gain from their wisdom as we create a just society right where we are. You've been listening to Common Sense on Social Justice with your host, Michael Davis. A common sense and fresh perspective to creating justice where you are. 
Share your comments and questions with Michael by emailing sjcommonsense at gmail.com. That's sjcommonsense at gmail.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider sharing it with a friend. You can support this vital mission of evangelization through materdayradio.com or the Hail Mary Media app. And thank you for helping us lead souls to Jesus through the Blessed Virgin Mary.